For the first time all season, there are no more college basketball games on the schedule. Kansas taking down North Carolina in historic fashion as the Jayhawks won their fourth NCAA championship, tying who? UConn. Jayhawks doing it in historic fashion, as I said, overcoming a 16-point deficit, the biggest comeback in NCAA championship history as Bill Self and the Jayhawks cut down the nets. Bill Self now with multiple national championships. South Carolina on the women's side, taking care of UConn as Dawn Staley wins her second national championship. Men's NIT, way to go Xavier, winning one for the Big East, and South Dakota State beating Seton Hall in the championship game of the women's NIT. The Jackrabbits really winning in impressive fashion over, let's face it, a Seton Hall women's team that was running on fumes by the time they made it to the WNIT championship game for the first time in program history. Take nothing away from the Jackrabbits. They were brilliant. Those starters, they're all interchangeable. They shot it well. They out-rebounded, out-hustled Seton Hall. They were in front of their home fans. They fed off them. They played well. They defended well. They shot it well. They deserve to win. But give credit to Seton Hall. They got there by winning 16 of their previous 18 games through February and into March getting to the semifinals of the Big East tournament before losing to Villanova. Just a remarkable run through February, March, and into April. Think about that, 16-2 and two before falling in the WNIT final. That is an incredible stretch. And joining me now on the podcast is the head coach of those Seton Hall Pirates, Tony Bazella. Coach, I know it's not how you or the Pirate fans wanted it to end. But man, that's quite a run. Thank you, Brian. And I'm so excited to be on your podcast once again. You know, I listened to all of them. The last one you did um, was, was tremendous as well with Terry and, and everything. It's it's an exciting time here at Seton Hall, obviously, with Shaheen uh, coming here to build upon Coach Willard's legacy. And then us in our postseason run. It was a great run, and I'm very proud of the girls. You know, we just ran out of gas at the end, um, and we lost to a very good team. I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from South Dakota State, but I wish we could have played the game here at Walsh in front of all our fans, and uh, we had a little extra, le little less travel than what we had. But you know what? It was a great learning experience. We did really well, and it's going to be something we can build on for the future for sure. So this is not to say sour grapes, Coach, and we're not making excuses here, but how much of an advantage is it for a team like South Dakota State that is playing in front of their home crowd, didn't leave the state since the middle of February? And meanwhile, give our listeners some idea of your travel, starting with that Sunday night, going to New York City against Columbia, and the travel. I mean, it's something out of planes, trains, and automobiles. I was thinking John Candy and, and uh, Steve Martin were going to be exhausted with no souls on their feet. A lot of our younger viewers will not understand that, but <laughs> we left Sunday night. We practiced Sunday morning for Columbia. We left Sunday afternoon. We had some nice traffic going to the George Washington Bridge. We stayed right around the George Washington Bridge. We don't get to select our hotels or anything. So we stayed at um, a hotel by the GW Bridge um, 
you know, the kids ate that night. We went over film. We got up the next morning. We battled traffic in for our shoot around um, into Columbia. Um, we shot there for about an hour, went through their stuff, came back, um, and then went over to the game that night and played for an amazing crowd. Um, Columbia did a great job. So did our fans. We had over 300 fans. They filled the whole, all the bleachers behind us. Um, our band, our dance team, our cheerleaders were amazing. It was one of the best atmospheres I've ever coached in my life. You know, 2,100 sold out. You know, we win the game at the end of the game. It was great. You know, we're celebrating. Um, Tuesday, we've, um, we had to give the kids a day off. They were exhausted. And then, and then Wednesday morning, we, we, we find out on Tuesday, we find out we're flying to middle Tennessee, which was obviously going to be difficult, but what made it more difficult was the WNIT doesn't allow you to charter. So we had to take commercial airline. So we had to drive um, two hours to LaGuardia because they only had the direct flight into Nashville. So we, we practiced at 6am that day on Wednesday, um, did what we could, left at 8 a.m., got to the airport around 10 a.m., took an 11.30 flight, got into Nashville around 2, um, let the kids walk around Nashville for about an hour, hour and a half. They all bought these great cowboy hats. I was really, it was really a, a nice bonding experience. We went and had dinner um, that night. Um, so that's uh, Wednesday night. Thursday, we get up, we go over to the arena, we shoot, and then we come back that night and play before 5,000 fans. That was a, just a tremendous game. We come out and you know, Sydney's unbelievable to start the game. She has 18 points in the first half and we're up 22 at one point, go up 12 at the half. They come all the way back. Um, they hit some great shots. They made some great plays. Right. And all of a sudden we're down four with 30 seconds to go. And, you know, we're exhausted at this point, but our kids did not give up. They, they executed a, a great play. Um, Lauren Park Lane gets an N1. And then we, um, we, we, we had a plan to steal the ball and we did. Um, forcing a jump ball, and then um, Sydney makes uh, Andre makes a great pass to Sydney at the end of the game, and we win. And this is Thursday night. So now we've been on the road since Sunday. So they tell us now you're flying to. If UCLA wins, you get to home game. If South Dakota State wins, you have to go there. This is Thursday night. So we're all sitting around a computer watching the game, and UCLA blows a lead right at the end of the game. South Dakota State makes some foul shots and wins. So now we find out the next morning at well one o'clock so our charter that we have to fly to south to go to state we land around four o'clock now coach may I, may I coach you're not exactly staying in nashville right? no no right. no we, so, we stayed in murfreesboro to be honest okay with you. murfreesboro then you have to bus to nashville no no we actually flew out of murfreesboro because it was the one time we got a charter flight because there are no commercial flights in do okay. into uh, sioux falls okay um direct and so we stay there. So then, yes, we flew out the next morning. We landed. We took a one o'clock flight. That's the only time they could get us. We land around 3.30. We go over and we literally crawl through a, a walkthrough because we can't. We're exhausted. Next morning, we get up. We go over and play. They have 5,000 fans sold out. A tremendous environment. And um, they've been sitting there for, since February and not playing an away game. And our kids got tired now. I will tell you, we were pumped up. We were ready to go. The crowd did not affect us, but we didn't shoot the ball particularly well in the first quarter. In the second and third quarters, we basically played them even. And then the fourth quarter, we just, you know, we just broke down. But, you know, that first quarter, we missed shots that we've made throughout the whole year, let alone the tournament. But, you know, we didn't have our legs. And, you know, credit to them. They played well. Um, we did not. But, you know, I was proud of our kids. I, I would love to have played that game at Seton Hall. And I would love to have had them had to play at middle Tennessee on Thursday night and play at our place Saturday at three o'clock. It would have been unique, really two o'clock their time. 
And from what I understand, and, and there's so many opinions I have on this coach, from what I understand, the teams put in a bid, right? And, and they actually have to pay uh, this committee or whoever runs the tournament, right? Triple Crown Sports. Don't they have to pay them to host the site? They do. And, 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 and listen, our, our school stepped up. We hosted the first three games. You know, there's, there's bid numbers. And then they go by seeds. So early on, we were the better seed. So we got, we, we, we supplied our bid number and we did a great job with that. Our administration was fantastic. And then we, you know, had to, you know, and then, then we, we, we bid and then we get a percentage of ticket sales. There's a lot that goes into it. Right. But on the fourth game, you know, Columbia, um, I guess came through with an amazing bid um, and had a bigger arena than us. So they got it. So that was fine, but we were disappointed. We couldn't host the fifth game. And then the, we knew the sixth game, South Dakota State, basically they, they put in everything. Um, and, they, and they, you know, they had a great crowd. It's just, I think the rule should be, you shouldn't, we, it should be a true seeded tournament. And it is, but it, at the end it gets a little skewed. And it should also be for the semifinals and finals. You cannot either at a neutral site or you cannot host if you've not been on the road yet. I mean, you can't play six home games. That's not fair. And that's basically what they did. But to their credit, and we're not going to complain or whine here at Seton Hall, to their credit, they had a great atmosphere, and they played well, Brian. We did not. I, I give them credit. Um, we can cut it any way we want, but our kids are – a bunch of our kids stopped by today, and, you know, we obviously don't have practice or workouts, but they're fired up and they're ready to go. I mean, this this will help us in, in the future. Every team that's made the um, – I think 90% of the teams have made the NIT Final Four in the past three years have gone on to play in the NCAA tournament the following year, and we will be one of them. And I want to talk about that, but this is the last thing I will say about this, Coach, because I don't want to make it sound like you're the one doing the whining here. I just wanted to give our listeners an idea of what this team went through just to get to that title game. My point in all of this is let the kids play in a fair, more fair competitive environment. Either give them more time off, maybe a week later. And, and I get it, you can't do that, but you want to play at home arenas, fine. But maybe an extra day off, something to give uh, these players uh, you know, a more even playing ground. So that's what I will say about that. And I'll just conclude with, I do believe that the home sites is not bad. I mean, the environments that we were in from our three home games so were amazing. You, you, you can't simulate that ever. And it's something we'll never forget. Really, really where the mistake is made is the games in the beginning are too spread out. We start on a Thursday. We don't play to a Monday. We go to a Thursday. We don't play to a Monday. That's well too spread out. We're playing four games over two weeks. We should condense that. So when you get to this quarterfinals, semifinals and finals, you have more time to rest and to travel. And that's what we didn't do. Um, and, and, and you know what? It's suggestions that we will make, um, but we'll be in the NCAA tournament next year. That's and that's goal. and you return four starters, uh, Andre Espinosa Hunter, who who was a, a a phenomenal transfer you for you. You have found a lot of success through the transfer portal in the last several years. Um, she goes on her way, uh, but you return four starters led by Lauren Park Lane, who to me, I mean, she reminds me of Allen Iverson. She is the Allen Iverson of Big East women's basketball. Uh, I can't say enough good things about her. And, and having her come back uh, around Sydney Cooks, you have a great nucleus coming back. Coach, could you talk about 
that and how you plan to shape this roster. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you, when you bring back arguably the best point guard in the country, you're, you're excited. And you're not bringing back the best point guard in the country as a player, bringing the best point guard in the country as a person and a player. Um, tremendous competitor, you know, heart of a giant, um, cares, was in here talking today about everything from what she's going to work on in her game to what we can do better to helping us with some transfers. I mean, just, just an amazing young woman. Um, I love her. And then, and, and she, she epitomizes everything that, you know, we want at Seton Hall. Um, Sydney was here as well today and Sydney's been a great, great ambassador to the program. You know, you just look at her tweets and how much she's having fun and playing well and knows what she has to improve on. And Sydney's going to be a first round draft choice. And I know Lauren's going to be a draft choice as well. So both of them are going to be high draft choices. And we're excited for that. But we're excited to build on that. And then you have a kid like Maya Jackson. She's a, been a, uh, you know, a three-year player that's going to has close to 1,000 points already. One of the best shooters in the country. You know, tough defender, tough kid. Um, you know, bleeds Seton Hall blue. We love her. And then let's not forget Maya Bembry. I mean, Maya Bembry at the winning shot. We all see that against <laughs> Creighton, but we also see that she's averaged close to 10 rebounds a game during this uh, eight game playoff run. Um, shot over 50%, sets great screens, guards the other team's best player. So we have four significant players coming back, along with a good set of reserves and, you know, some kids that, w that, that we've already signed, um, you know, um, a, a couple of transfers. And uh, we're excited. A, a really special high school player out of Connecticut. Um, so we're excited for the future because of these kids and what they've put down as a great foundation here at Seton Hall. So when you look at the season as a whole, I mean, man, coach, the struggles earlier in the year, then you turn it around in February, win 16 out of your last 18 games before that loss to South Dakota State. Your only losses were to Creighton in double overtime, who went to the Elite Eight, and Villanova, who also went to the NCAA tournament round of 32. I mean, that's quite a run that you put together. How did it all come together for you in February, March, and April? Yeah, you know, and, and you point out the teams we lost to. I'll also point out that we did beat Creighton in the in the in, in the uh, Big East tournament. We did beat Villanova um, as well at the end of the regular season. Um, we did beat a DePaul team that made the NCAA tournament, and then we went on a streak of beating three teams that had above twenty five wins uh, themselves, of starting with um, Drexel and then going to. Um, Columbia, and then finishing with Middle Tennessee. So it's not too often you beat three teams that had a combined 80 wins. So, or 75, 78 wins, whatever it is. Um, so, you know, we, we started to play a lot better. And Brian, and I'll be honest, we were eight and 10. We were struggling. Um, we didn't really play well together. We didn't trust each other. And we had a great team meeting. And Warren basically said, listen, I'm going to make sure we trust each other. And really started to not only distribute the ball, she started to set people up. And really took a step back and then ended up starting to score even more points because she was setting people up for easy, easy baskets. And now those kids couldn't, people couldn't double her. And she really got everyone involved and did an amazing job. Sydney really stepped up. I think we had a long talk after the Marquette game at Marquette where she did not play well. And we had a really heart to heart. We talked about trust and belief and love. And um, she trusted me and I trusted her. And she averaged close to 20 points a game after that point. Um, and then Andra, you know, Andra really, you know, was up and down at that point and really had a great month of February for us. So, you know, Maya Jackson started to um, get healthier. She had been 
banged up all year. She had some big games for us, made some big shots. And then, like I said, my member really was, I think, our, our missing uh, person um, that really stepped on. But, you know, we believed in each other. I think at the end of the day, it was a, you know, come to Jesus moment. We we're like, oh, boy, we can go. We're 8 and 10. We can go, you know, 12 and 18. Or we can go whatever. And, you know, to, to win 16 of our next 18 games was phenomenal. Against good teams, we won a bunch of close games because the kids – at the end of practice, executed the um, time and score, and it paid off. And I, I was proud of them, and I was proud of the staff to keep them together. Lauren and Jose and Pete and um, Shakina and Christy and Andrew did a great job of keeping the staff, keeping the team together. Coaching staff on down to the players. Everyone believed in each other, ended up with 24 wins, second most in your tenure, uh, fifth best in program history, a trip to the WNIT finals, uh, for the first time ever. Lauren Park Lane, coach, what can you say about her? Because you coached a couple of the greatest, you know, you coached some of the greatest players in, in program history and Tabitha Richardson-Smith, Kadirdra Simmons. Lauren Park Lane was one you recruited though and brought there. Where does she stand and where can she stand among Seton Hall greats? I mean, we recruited Deja Simmons, phenomenal player. Um, Kadir just, I, I'm uh, Shakina Richardson, who's on my staff. But but Lauren, you know, is, is every bit as good as them. Lauren's got the heart of a, like I said, a giant. Um, she wants to get better. She took the year of COVID when everyone was home in their houses and she worked on her game. You know, she's got a, a set of parents that have great values that made sure they're instilled in her work ethic. She comes to practice. She practices hard. She's into winning. She's into being competitive. She's into playing the best teams in the country. I mean, she's grilling me all the time. Who are we playing next year? Who do we got? What are we doing? Blah, blah, blah. It's great. She's, you know, she wants to play the best of the best. And that's what I love about her. Um, she's mature. I did not call a timeout in the last minute of Columbia on offense because she had the ball in her hands. I knew she would make a good decision. Whether she scored or not, I didn't know. But she made a good decision. And that was really maturity. You know, the end of the Middle Tennessee game, we called that play without a timeout. And she grabs the ball, she gets an N1. Like, you know, she she gets it. She understands it. Um, she's just a wonderful person to be around. She's smiling. She's happy. Um, you know, it's just, it's just special. It really is. And uh, I'm blessed to coach her. And I, and I give a lot of credit to, to, to my associate coach, Lauren, who, who does a lot of work with her. Shakina has talked to her on the side, um, you know, about about leadership and, and stuff. And, uh, you know, Jose's done a lot of work with her as well. And, you know, we're blessed that she she – wants to listen to the staff and wants to be coached. So we're very lucky that way. Yeah, no, she, she's, she's a spark plug and she, she is dynamite. Um, coach, as you look ahead to next year, the, the, I mean, the big East as a whole, I just feel like um, it's getting better and better. It's not just UConn and everybody else. Look at the postseasons uh, that these teams had with Creighton going to the elite eight and UConn one win away from, you know, a, a 12th national championship, which is, insane uh DePaul making the NCAA tournament you're running the WNIT even Marquette winning some games in the WNIT what does it say as a comp as the conference as a whole at how good this conference is or underrated in some ways now after our Villanova game in the playoffs where we lost and you know it was just a tough game you know we were down four three minutes ago and it was just an emotional game and, and I was very passionate in my speech and I got a little criticism, but like the bees is a really good league. And, and I said, stop looking at numbers, stop looking at the net, stop looking at this stuff. I'm sorry that 
you know, we have three teams right now in our league that are struggling. We do. And their net is not anywhere near where it should be. And they, you know, it's not helping us. And those te- coaches are new and they're going to get their teams better and they're going to do a great job. But don't punish us because of it. Watch Seton Hall women's basketball play. If you don't think we're an NCAA team, I disagree with you. Watch Villanova play. And I pushed Villanova really hard in that meeting. And DePaul. No one had DePaul in until after that conversation. And after that conversation, all of a sudden, the media started to look. And DePaul started to get in. And while DePaul got in and did not play well, they deserved to get in. So did Villanova. And they won a game. No one thought Creighton was that good. We pushed them. Creighton got, was a 10 seed. Like, that's not far from being out of the tournament. And they go to the Elite Eight. And we're a really good league. Marquette's an excellent team. You know, got to the third round of the WNIT. Like, we have a good, good basketball league with really good coaches, veteran coaches, coaches who aren't leaving the Big East for other jobs. Like, these other leagues talk about, yeah, we have a league as good as the Big East. No, you don't, because your coaches are leaving those leagues to come into the leagues like the Big East mm-hmm. or, or something like that. So, we have a great league and our coaches stay. So that's what makes it so hard is that they're all veteran, solid basketball coaches. Uh, Whose teams did very well in the postseason, nine and four, a combined record in the NCAA tournament for big East teams. Um, So yeah, very good. You know, and and I think eight and two in the the NIT. Yeah. So even take, take UConn out of the equation, you know, at five and one, and it's still a winning record. So that, that tells you about the, the Big East and the quality. So, Coach, for you personally, a couple more questions. You've seen Shaheen, you see Shaheen Holloway at his introductory press conference and just the joy, the excitement, the smile that he had on his face, the ovations, plural, that he received. A son coming home. You went through that in a smaller capacity, but you went through that when you were named head coach, because you too graduated from Seton Hall. So what is it like for you? How special is it to coach at a place that has meant so much to you that, you know, you graduated from and seeing Shaheen do that as well? I think it's wonderful. I think it is very special. I think you understand why you went to Seton Hall and what Seton Hall's special values are without you being able to see it. Like, a building. You can see a building, but you can't see, a, a, you know, a, a department head being a season ticket holder at your game or coming in on a Sunday because you have a recruit that can only be there on a Sunday and meeting with you like Dr. Joyce Strausser did for us and does for us. Um, Matt Geibel, an academic advisor who you could pick up the phone on a Sunday at one o'clock. He's going to answer the phone and help you with something. You can't see that, but you can experience it. And we have experienced that. And yeah, and Shaheen's going to do wonderfully. You know, he's obviously not only played here, he's coached here under Coach Willard, who's an outstanding coach. And I do feel there's a lot of pressure. I feel extra pressure as an alum. I do um, because this is a place that I love. It's where I, you know, grew up, where I had a tremendous amount of experiences. And I don't want to let our fans down. I don't want to let our president or administration or AD down because it is important to me, not just to be successful, but to represent Seton Hall in a way that everyone's proud of, because I am an alum and I know Shaheen's going to feel, feels the same way and is really going to accomplish those things as well. I think that's why we're all excited for Shaheen. Listen, Coach Willard did an amazing job. I, I think, you know, people don't understand how hard it was for him to do what he did. But now that he set Shaheen up to take it to the next level, we all are excited for Shaheen because he's a passionate guy, but also knows Seton Hall and loves Seton Hall for what it is. 
Well, coach, uh, you know, you bleed blue and, and it's great to see. And we wish you continued success at Seton Hall. You have brought this program to a level where, you know, it's consistently winning, consistently competing in that upper half of the Big East, challenging for an NCAA tournament, going to the WNIT postseason berths. And at a place like Seton Hall, what more can you ask? So we wish you continued success and uh, we'll talk to you very soon, coach. Thanks, Brian. I just like to add, you know, we were finished 35th in the country in the latest um, USA Today poll. And I was really proud of that for the girls. But most of all, I was proud of the way they conducted themselves. You know, Brian, they, they were so excited each game to represent Seton Hall and to have our president be at five of the six games, to have our chief of staff, Pat Lyons, be at five or six games, to have our AD, Brian Felt, to be at five of our six games. You know, our senior women's administrator, Tatum Collins, to be here at six of the game, all six of the games. It says what it, Seton Hall is about. It's about the people, about people that, you know, care for the school. Um, I'm excited. You know, our fans were amazing in the three games, but I'm excited for the future, Brian. Like, we're going to be good next year. We return four starters. we got some great transfers coming in, uh, a tremendous freshman. Um, some of our reserves are getting better every day. A couple of them were in here shooting before. It's exciting times, yeah. Paul. Yeah. And I want our fans to come back with the same energy and fervor and enthusiasm next year for, yes, for Shaheen, but also for our women's basketball team. And I, and I want to thank you for having me on as a fellow alum. It's, it's a great place to be. We love it, and we're excited for next year. I wish we could start tomorrow. I really do. I, Coach, I'm ready to knock down the door and, and go on the, on the uh, court myself. I wish I had some eligibility. But uh, hey, now you got me thinking, okay, before I go, I do have one more question. Yeah. What you did on Twitter – Asking fans, hey, if you get to Middle Tennessee, if you get to Tennessee, I will uh, buy your ticket to that WNIT semifinal. And I believe you got two people that, that took you up on that. Could you tell no, us? No, at, at Middle Tennessee, I had six. Six. So, so you paid me six tickets. Dakota, I had a few. Pat Lyons showed up. He wanted me to buy his ticket. I already got him a comp, so it was fine. <laughs> we joked about that. But no, I got six people at Middle Tennessee. It was amazing. We had Bob Zimmer, the Cernies showed up, a couple other people that I met. This, this guy, um, Brian Novato. Like, it was great. And they were just amazing. It was great to have them there. And, um, you know, it was money well spent. Let me leave it that way. And oh. I was happy my kids were at it. It was amazing. They, it was a great experience. It really was. Brilliant stuff. I saw that cracking up. And, and you know, Coach, that, that says a lot about you. So, hey, great talking to you as always. Uh, it's always a pleasure. And we'll talk to you soon, Coach. Thanks, Brian. Nice seeing you. Tony Bazella coming up with one of, the, one of the great promotions that you'll ever see on Twitter. And Pat Lyons, are you kidding me? <laughs> Pat Lyons made him buy him a ticket. But you know what? Why not? Okay? All the things that Pat Lyons has done for Seton Hall and Tony Bazella, that's the least Tony could do. Hey, it was a comp. It didn't cost him anything, right? Now, there was some other big news happening this week, all right? Not just Seton Hall making it to the finals of the WNIT or UConn making it to the national championship game against South Carolina. How about the transfer portal? I said it before, and I'll say it again. It is going over 2,000. But how about not one, not two, but three players from St. Peter's, Daryl Banks, Matthew Lee, the starting backcourt for the Peacocks, the Elite Eight St. Peter's Peacocks, and Doug Eddard, who became a national celebrity, a household name. Everyone's growing mustaches now, right? 
even four-year-old kids with afros and mustaches want to be like Doug. But seriously, to have those three players, three of your four leading scorers, your, and your starting backcourt and your best shooter enter the portal, how devastating would that be for St. Peter's? With them in the lineup, you're talking about preseason number one or number two. Lock it in, in the MAC. The favorites to repeat, probably along with Iona, Fairfield, right? But still, now you're taking those players out. Listen, I am all for players transferring, getting what they want, because Lord knows these coaches come and go. So why shouldn't the players be able to? I get it, but it's out of control. Okay, I'm not saying they're wrong doing what they're doing because they're going to do what they feel is best for them. It's just a shame. You know, I know hey, it's different in college basketball. It wasn't like you when you grew up, right? When, when Patrick Ewing played for four years and Ralph Sampson played for four years. Guys, Christian Leitner played for four years, right? I mean, guys did not leave early for the NBA. But that was the beauty of college basketball. You got attached to these teams and these teams got better and better. And you hated them more if they were that good. Or you loved them more for them being there, right? Well, we're going to see where these players go. And I see some chatter already following Edder. Come to Seton Hall. Listen, Shaheen Holloway, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't have any inside information. My guess is if Ryan Whalen becomes the head coach of St. Peter's, Shaw's number one assistant, that those players, none of them would probably come to Seton Hall. But at this point, they're in the portal already. So it's not like Shaw's poaching them. But from what I've seen, the player that could come in with the talent and the experience that they have right now, the player that could come into a Power Five conference or the Big East conference, because they're a Power Five conference in my mind, is Daryl Banks. Daryl Banks is the player who's most ready to come in and contribute right away, and he could do that on this Seton Hall roster. I'm not so sure Doug Eddard at 6'2 is a high major player. From what I've seen, Daryl Banks is. That kid lit up Providence. He lit up Kentucky. That is a legit player who could play at almost any program in the country. Doug Eddard has a skill. He can hit threes. I just don't know if he could get it off at that level, high major level. We saw it recently with Peter Kiss, who dominated at Quinnipiac, who was the leading scorer in the nation at Bryant. He struggled mightily at Rutgers. I saw games where he couldn't hit the side of the backboard. It's just a different level, a different athlete that you're playing against, a taller, faster athlete. At 6'2", that's not a Big East shooting guard unless you're Miles Powell. And Doug Eddard, as good as he is, is not Miles Powell. Matthew Lee 
can also help some teams. But I think, in my opinion, Daryl Banks would be the best fit out of those three at a place like Seton Hall or even Rutgers. But you're talking about going behind players like Paul Mulcahy and Kaderi Richmond. But at some point, he would add a lot of depth to a high major roster. So that's my opinion on those three stars. There's going to be more names out there. We'll see if any other players leave other programs uh, in New Jersey. But that was big news coming out of Jersey City and New Jersey on Tuesday, just a couple of hours before I recorded this podcast. So keep an eye out for that. As news happens, ladies and gentlemen, in New Jersey, in New York, in Connecticut, in the tri-state area for our teams, we will talk about it here on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Just because the college basketball season is over for 2021-2022, doesn't mean we're going to stop talking college hoops here on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. So please, if you like what you hear, follow us. Give us a review on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Share it with your friends. Spread the word. I do appreciate your valued listenership. Until we talk again, I'm Brian Dinovellis, and this is the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. So long. <laughs>